You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. He is risen. He is risen? There you go. That's better. Good morning. I'm Pastor Jason. It's a joy to be with you. As we continue hearing stories of Jesus' resurrection, today we're going to be looking at the, at the end of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus appears and he's got some things to say to us. Before we get there, um, how many of you have seen Endgame? Avengers Endgame. Anybody see it? Wow, just a few. Thanks. <laughs> I'm in your camp. Um, a year ago, 2018, was a big year for Marvel Studios. They had a number of films that came out and did really well. Black Panther came out, and it was a stunning success. Won all kinds of awards, right? And then their Avengers um, series came out. What was that? It was Infinity War. How many of you saw Infinity War? How many of you left Infinity War mad? Like, irritated, ticked off, went in there? Because I've been following this series for a while, and there were... There were all of these heroes that had been developed, and then all of a sudden, as you're watching Infinity War, it's at the end of it, it's, if you haven't seen it, sorry about this, but at the end, hero after hero after hero just sort of disappears into ash, and they die, and you're like, what in the world are you doing? I mean, have you not read, like, all those stories about heroes? I mean, at least I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm going back to the movie, um, oh, the baseball film with James Earl Jones. Yeah, no, not that one. The other, um, Sandlot, yeah. James Earl Jones, when the kids come in, he's like, heroes never die, kid. You know, it's like, I got that, that, that line in the back of my mind, like, heroes, heroic people don't die. And yet at the end of Avengers Infinity War, all, I mean, not all, but lots of heroes, they disappear. And you're left wondering, what in the world are they doing as a storytelling technique? And then start to think, at least I start to think about the pages of Scripture and the story that, that God tells and the story that gets unpacked there. In reality, in some ways, what Marvel is doing is, uh, they're not in full, but in just in slight ways, they're really telling us the story that we find present within the Gospels. The story is about Jesus. Because Jesus, when you read through the Gospels, all the Gospels, at some point along the way, he begins to tell his disciples, the people that he's traveling with, Hey, look, friends, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and things are not going to go well in Jerusalem. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to face some persecution. I'm going to be stripped, and I'm going to be put up, and I'm going to be crucified. And most of the time, as Jesus tells this to the disciples, the disciples refute it. Most of the disciples are like Peter, like, no way, Jesus. Heroes don't die. People who raise other people up from the dead, people who pick up mud and they place it on the eyes of somebody who's blind, and that person begins to see. People who do the kind of miracles that you've been doing, people who teach the way that you've been teaching, people who have the kinds of crowds that you have, they don't go to Jerusalem and die. They go there, and they're put up on a throne, and they become the leader for us all. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, it's not the way it's going to happen. But most of the time, they just kind of ignore him, except for one occasion 
where Thomas is beginning to realize that Jesus has been telling this story over and over again. And one time when Jesus says, we need to go to where Lazarus is because Lazarus has died. Thomas says, fine, let's go with him that we may die with him. But for most of the time, the disciples just simply have this sense that heroes never die. And so when they come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, they are thrilled with the parade that was Palm Sunday. Thrilled with that and how people acclaim Jesus and they, they shout out with great praise songs. They think now is the time. He is going to be coming into his own. And they have no idea. They've just tuned it out of their minds that what could happen on Good Friday happens on Good Friday. They thought Jesus would be on a on a throne, and instead he was on a cross, and then he was in a grave. And their world just collapses in every possible way. And then Easter Sunday morning happens when some women, beloved women who loved Jesus, went to the tomb, and they found it empty, and they came back with this story that we went to see where Jesus was, and we were going to anoint his body, but he wasn't there. And then there was an angel, and they tell the story. They unpack the story, and some of the other disciples run, and all they see is an empty tomb, and they are left with a whole lot of questions. A couple of them, with their questions, they go for a walk. They go from Jerusalem to a place called uh, Emmaus, about seven miles away. And as they walk, somebody joins them along the way. They don't understand who it is. They don't understand that the fact that this person knows that, about the events in Jerusalem and he knows all kinds of things. They just pour out their hearts and this person listens and he begins to teach. Finally, when they get to Emmaus and he breaks the bread, they realize that Jesus has been traveling with them, the resurrected Jesus. Somehow he looks different. But he's yet so very him, the him that they've walked with, the person that they've walked with. They recognized, they said, when they broke the bread. And so they're amazed. They've walked seven miles that day, but this event so changes them that they run back to Jerusalem. They put in 14 miles. That's like a 25K almost, right? For some of you who do that kind of thing, they put 14 miles in. They run back to Jerusalem, and they have a story to tell. And this is what Luke says. This is what that evening looks like. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. As they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder, then he asked them, Don't you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. 
There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany. And lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So one of the things that we see within this story is that the end is not the finale. When, when they saw Jesus die on the cross and buried in the tomb, the disciples thought they had come to the end. But Jesus was raised up. And the end was not the finale. And he appeared in their midst. Luke tells us a couple of interesting things. They said when Jesus appeared in this upper room where the two from Emmaus had come back to and others were gathered, that the first words out of Jesus' mouth, mouth was this, peace be with you. And then Luke tells us almost instantaneously that those who heard these words were frightened and afraid. I don't know how you take that. I think you ought to laugh just a little bit. Think about it. Peace be with you. They were frightened and afraid. The last thing that happened in that moment was that they were peaceful. They were, I mean, their world was just literally turned upside down. Everything they knew about how you go about coming into this world, you live and then you die and then you're, you're not here anymore and then he's here. Jesus is here. He's standing in the flesh. They can barely believe it. Believing that Jesus stood in the flesh, that he had a real resurrected body, isn't their only question of the day. If you've been following the news this past week, you, you may know that there are still people who are wondering, did Jesus really come back and live in a, have a real physical body, a body that you could touch? Or was the resurrection just a spiritual thing? Luke tells us that it wasn't just a spiritual thing. Luke tells us that Jesus stood in their midst and he said, touch me and feel me. See where the nails were at. This body that Jesus has is a body similar to what you and I have, similar to the body that he had before he went to the cross. And yet, and yet, it has some unique characteristics like the ability to appear when they don't see it coming. We don't know how that happens. The one thing we do know is that that body that Jesus has is a hint of the body that you and I will one day have. How it all works, I can't begin to tell you. But that's what Luke is really telling us in that moment. He's saying this body is real. The disciples believed in the resurrection. They looked for it. Much like like we might look for it, much like we might think at the end of time there will be a resurrection for all things and all people. We don't really know what it's going to look like. The, the disciples knew, and Jesus tells us that he had to take them back into the Scriptures and remind them about the prophets, the, the, what the prophets hoped for, and how the psalmist hoped for the resurrection. But what they didn't understand and what sometimes we don't get is that Jesus' resurrection was changing the world in that moment, in that place, in their now. And Jesus' resurrection is certainly about changing the, the now that we live in, the place where we're at. He wants to come alongside us and show us himself. He does that 
as we come together and worship. He does that in unique ways. One of the interesting things there was Jesus said, I'm here in your midst, you know, touch me and see me. And then he asked for some fish. As Rich Cunningham and I were talking about this text, Pastor Jim stopped by the, the office where we were sitting and, and he said, and we were telling Pastor Jim what we were talking about, what we were looking at. And he's like, oh, this is where Jesus said, like, touch me in the side. And we said, well, he said, touch them. And then he, he asked for some fish. And so Pastor Jim said, you mean he went to take fish to put it in the side? We said, no, Pastor Jim, he went to take fish and to eat it, to eat it. And then he said, look at my side. It's seafood. <laughs> Thank you. It's a bad joke, but you'll remember it for a long time. <laughs> Very bad joke. But Jesus stood in their midst. This past uh, several weeks, past, uh, Tim, our youth director, he's been having young people share their story and their testimony at, at youth group. And about 10 days ago, Matt Kellerstrass got up and he began to tell his story, and, and not only his story, and they've all been telling their own story, but then also where, where God has been intersecting with their life. Matt, Matty got up, and he started talking about back in the fall a year ago, he was playing baseball, and he threw a ball on a cold day, and he heard something snap. And, and then every time he tried to throw, the, nothing felt good. And it, he was just in pain, and, and he began to think about all that, and then he tried to play again, and it, nothing was going right. And he ended up having to have surgery to repair some, some work in his arm. And he said, in, in, while he was talking to his, his peers, he said, I got really discouraged because I had had all kinds of hopes and dreams and all kinds of imaginations of playing baseball well beyond high school. And when I was hurt and when I had to undergo surgery, he said, all of those dreams, all of those imaginations, all of those pictures suddenly began to just sort of crash in. And my faith was really taking a beating. I wondered, God, what in the world are you doing? And somewhere in the midst of that questioning, Tim Smith said, Maddie, uh, a bunch of us are going to go to a conference. A bunch of our youth volunteers are going to go to a conference. It's uh, National Youth Workers Convention. Would you like to go with us? And so Maddie said, yes. He said, I really didn't know what I was saying yes to. But I went anyways. Found myself in some really interesting places. But he said, one of the places I found myself in was this big room, and they have big room worship. And he said, I found myself among all these other people who were worshiping. And I had this angst and this real deep anguish within myself. And my faith wasn't strong. And yet when I was there, he's like, Jesus showed up. Jesus said, Maddie, I see where you're at. I know where you're at. And I know that you think you've come to the end and that all kinds of things are just meeting their end, but Maddie, they're not. There is a future beyond this place where you think there's an end. There is a future in front of you. The disciples, the disciples were like Maddie in that moment. Lots of things in their world they thought had come to an end. Yet Jesus showed up and he said, guess what, friends? There is an adventure that is present beyond today. There is a present there's an adventure that is out in front of you. And don't think that the things that you've seen, the adventure you've been on is coming to an end. There is an adventure that awaits. And so Jesus began to talk to his disciples. 
He began to talk to them about how there was this message that he was entrusting to them, a message about his own life and about his own death and about his own resurrection, and that he was sending them out into the broader world. They lived in a time where people thought, if you really want to connect to God, you've got to go to Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem became this, this pinnacle place where one might go to have a connection to God. But Jesus began to reset the table. He began to say, Jerusalem isn't the pinnacle place. But Jerusalem is the place where, where we are gathered right now, but where I am sending you because there are people all over the world. In fact, this is part of the story that Luke has been telling over and over and over again, that God loves all of the people of the world, that God cares for all of the people of the world. Part of the story of Luke 15 where you have the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son is this reality that God loves everybody who might think in their lives that they are lost. God loves them and he cares for them and he sends the shepherd. He goes on a hunt for them. So there isn't a place where we think it's the pinnacle place of worship. No, Jesus says, from Jerusalem we're to go out. And just as he sent them when and he sent the 12 in Luke 9, or he sent the 72 in Luke 10. Jesus says, if you've seen me, if I've been in your midst, I'm sending you someplace. Someplace needs to know the message of the gospel of Christ. Where is it that Jesus has sent you? Are you in the place right now where he sent you? Some of you are. Some of you right now, as you think about your life, you never could have imagined that you would be where you're at at this present moment or that you'd be doing the things that you are doing on a daily basis. You know what it is to live into the fullness of the joy of God because when you wake up in the morning, you know that there is a work that God has placed in your hands and, and it takes more than you to accomplish it. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, and you wake up in the morning and you are about the grand adventure that God had for your life. And some of us, we know that there are moments in life where we've lived that great adventure. But we know that in the present moment right now, that we've maybe found a safe place, a place to pull off the side of the road, a place to hang out. Maybe we're not really engaged in the game that God has for us. Jesus looks at his disciples when he stands in their midst and he said, I'm sending you. There is a great adventure out in front of you. And you need to hear the voice of Jesus and to get the sense that the Spirit is calling out to you. We all need that sense. And when we're in that place where God has sent us, then there's joy. On on our church staff, on your church staff, there are a couple of people who've been listening to God and they've been hearing the voice of Jesus speak to them. Jeff and Jamie Fugit are one of those couples and Sean and Jane Markin are one of the other couples. Both of them have been on this team. They've been on our staff. They've been serving in different ways. And yet they've been listening. They've been listening to the voice of Jesus and Jesus has been saying some interesting things to them. And so Jesus has begun to lead them from this place to different places within Missouri where they're going to take up other areas of service. Jeff and Jamie are going down to Cassville and Jeff is going to uh, be a pastor of a church down there. Uh, Jane and Sean and their family of five kids are going to be leaving Springfield and they're going to be going over into the boot heel and Jane's going to be charged with pastoring a couple of churches in the boot heel. Jane's been really good about thinking about 
I can never believe the journey that God is really taking me on. She said, 14 years ago, I came to Springfield, and Springfield was the place where I met God. I met God in this place of Schweitzer. I came to faith here, and, and our kids were born in Springfield, and, and they've been a part of the Schweitzer experience, and they've been able to grow, and yet as we've been here, as we've grown deep with where God would have us, we know that God is leading us from here to there. As I think about that adventure that they're on, I think they have no clue what's in front of them. The adventure is big and bold. One of the things that Jane and Sean know is that the churches that they're going to are really thrilled that Jane and Sean are bringing five kids. They've been waiting for kids, and they're like, five kids? It's like the churches just can't imagine what they're bringing. And so they're super excited. They're taking a step of faith. But you don't have to step into being a pastor of a church. You don't have to take a step of, of moving from here to there necessarily. Because there are all kinds of places where God can come alongside of us and say, friend, brother, sister. There's a game that I'm about that I need you to be a part of. There's an adventure that I want you to be a part of. I want you to play a part. I want you to be a part of the resurrection plan. I want you to be a part of seeing people's lives restored, seeing healing in the kingdom of heaven a part of. So we, we'd be willing to take a step of faith. Well, the disciples are. They hear Jesus out and they hear his call to, to a great adventure. And yet just as Jesus speaks about what that's like, Jesus then goes on to talk about the need that they have. They have a need for the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. This is how Christ blesses us for the adventure ahead of us. He says, you need the Spirit, and you need a blessing. See, this adventure that Christ calls us to isn't an adventure of our own making or an adventure that takes our own strength, our own capacity, our own power. It takes more than our own wisdom, more than our own intellect, more than the strength of our own hands or bodies. The adventure that God calls us to takes the power and the strength of his Holy Spirit. Have you ever tried to forgive anybody in your own strength? you ever tried to forgive somebody that really hurt you in your own power, your own capacity? And yet you keep coming up to the place where you're like, I can't do this on my own. Because truly, friends, I don't think we can forgive on our own. It takes the power of the Spirit working in our lives to forgive somebody that's really hurt us and wounded us. You tried to do the miracles that Jesus gave to his disciples to do. You, we can't do miracles on our own strength. The miracles are, take the work and the power of God. You ever tried to free somebody that's in bondage? Can't do that in our own strength. It takes the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit working with us and through us to release people who are in bondage, to be released ourselves from the bondage that we carry. So Jesus comes along to these disciples, and they think the end, is, the end has come, and he says the end, is, the end is nowhere near coming. There is a great adventure out there for you. There's a great adventure out there for me as well, for you. So don't take yourself and think that you're all done. 
Don't think that you've achieved if you're at a place where you're like, I believe in God and, and that's what I need. Don't think that you're done if, if you've got the witness of the Spirit in your own life. No, there is more. There's always more. This past week, I had the privilege of going to the hospital and meeting with a couple who were in their 90s. A husband was in for a, a medical procedure. And I met his wife in the, in the waiting room. I sat down beside her and we began to talk. And I said, what have you been doing all day? She said, well, I've been texting with some friends and talking to people. And I've been reading my scriptures. I said, where have you been reading? And she pulled out a little Gideon New Testament out of her Bible or out of her purse. And she said, I've been reading in 1 Peter. She said, as a couple, we read together through a one-year Bible, but I've been reading in 1 Peter because that's just kind of the work and the place where I need to be. And then we went back into the room where her husband was at. And we pulled up alongside of his bed, and on his bed, he had a, a Gideon Bible there, and he had it open to the Psalms. I said, what have you been, been doing? What have you been reading? He said, I've been really just kind of reflecting on Psalm 139, my favorite psalm. I've been thinking about... Some of the text that's described there, because the psalmist says that God knit me together in my mother's womb. He knits us together in my mother's womb. And I was just thinking about all the strands that God has taken to knit me together. He said, I was thinking about the strands of my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my parents. And he pulled it all together in my mother's womb. And he knit me together in that place. The psalmist says it's too wonderful to me, and I'm just sitting here thinking about that and pondering that, the wonder of it all. And he kept going, not really needing to read out of the, the book because he had it in his heart, right? Thinking about how this psalm was shaping him, and he's like, it's too wondrous to me. And he asked me to pray. He asked me to pray, it's like, how do you pray for people who are like saints, who look into the face of God? How do you pray for people like that? But he asked me to pray. As I was praying, he just said, God, you've been good. You've been good. So good. And here it was in a hospital room with some people who've been turning their hearts and their lives daily into the face of Christ, that Christ started speaking and being present into my own life and heart. If you've got some things that are coming to an end, don't think that that's the end of anything. Because Jesus has a way of showing up when we show up. And of saying, brothers and sisters, the end is never the end. It's a finish line. What looks like a finish line is really a starting line. And there is always an adventure of faith that is out in front of us. So what is the adventure that he calls you to? Step into it. March into it. Run into it. Kind Father, Thank you that you have raised up Jesus from the dead. And in him we begin to see a resurrection of all kinds of things. Speak into the places of our hearts where we need a resurrection. And draw us into the path 
of faith and your great adventure. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.